My name is Julian, and this is the Sales Fix Podcast. It's you, the salespeople across the world that make the world a better place. You've brought down prices, you've increased quality, you've caused the guarantee, the warranty, the return policy, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Discussions, interviews, sales quick tips. Everything to sharpen the saw and make you a better salesperson. Hey, sales warriors and sales professionals, welcome back to another episode of the Sales Fix Podcast. Today's a quick fix episode. Before we do that, let me tell you that today's show is brought to you by the lovely people at OriginMaine.com. OriginMaine is a company based out of Maine, and they make some fantastic clothing products that I am a big fan of. Uh, I know a guy talking about clothing, right? What what are the odds? But um, I buy jeans from them, and they are the most comfortable jeans. They don't ride up. They fit really well. They don't pinch. The pockets are spacious and comfortable. And they I've washed this thing a you know couple hundred times. It feels like, and it still looks brand new. So they're just super solid. But the coolest thing about uh, Origin Maine is that they the cotton that they use is made in the U.S., grown in the U.S., and then they weave the cloth uh, on a loom or on looms that they've restored from old defunct factories in the state of Maine, and they've at the same time been restoring the clothing manufacturing industry in Maine. So now they make boots, they make jeans, they make cool shorts and shirts and hoodies, and they make some fantastic compression and workout wear. I'm a fan of all that stuff. I use it. It's all made right here in the U.S. by a U.S.-based company, and that's important as well. So check them out, Origin Maine with an E, OriginMaine.com, and I think you'll like a lot of their stuff. Um, you can find cheaper stuff, but there's a reason that it's cheaper. And uh, certainly if you're used to workout gear, you know how that stuff can fall apart after a, a few dozen washes. And the stuff I have from them is just held up really well. Okay, let's get right to it. Our quick fix today is on freezing up. Yeah, I know. I did an ad about Maine and then I talk about freezing up, but it's not the same kind of freezing up. It's the freezing up that your prospects sometimes do. And it's something that comes up on a lot of uh, sales trainings and sales coaching situations that I'm in where the concept, this concept of a prospect that showed initial interest, that even maybe requested a proposal, and then we give them a proposal and they sit on it and we don't hear back from them and we're trying to re-engage and they've essentially frozen up and we don't know why. And that's really frustrating both for salespeople and for management and it's, you know, prospecting is bad enough, right? But the added pain of like having to re-prospect somebody that you thought you had engaged is really just not not fair and not fun. And the instinctual reaction that a lot of organizations have, both sales and sales management, is they just double down on the frequency and the pressure of the contacts, you know, assuming that they have a live one on the line and that it represents an easier close than some of the other non-presentitude names that are on the lead list. And as a result, the prospect is feeling harassed and the salesperson is feeling frustrated and sales management's feeling confused and you got a pipeline full of maybes and let me think about it and nobody's happy about that situation. And what's going on is that if you look at science, there's actually a plausible explanation as to why that's going on and what we can do about it and a better course of action that we can take. Because the instinctual response that we have in sales of, you know, contacting them more frequently or putting more pressure on them is actually contributing to the prospect going dark and freezing up on us because it's triggering some very deep-seated defense mechanisms, instincts, survival instincts. Uh, that are that are in their brains and are in are all our brains based on animal distress behaviors and so the inside of the, the the inner core of your brain is called the limbic brain or the lizard brain has no capacity for language but it still has phenomenal influence on your decision making it's where the fight or flight response comes from inside your brain and when we trigger that 
our prospects are freezing up, and they're freezing up in an instinctual basis, not in a thought-out basis. And, and so we're contributing to the monster of this you know, prospects freezing up thing. So in the late 70s and 80s, there was a series of studies done uh, on a concept that's called tonic immobility. And I recently actually read a great summary of a lot of this research uh, that was published by Dr. Peter Levine, who is a trauma specialist and researcher, obviously. And what the studies showed was this concept of tonic immobility and what it means. So here's what it means, right? So here's the example. An African gazelle is being hunted by some cheetahs on the, on the African tundra. And the cheetahs chase it down, right? So the flight response is what's kicking in next. And that's typically what's happening with your prospects as well, right? They're either engaging in the fight or flight response. So the flight response is, you know, they negotiate and the flight response is they avoid you, right? But your, your prospects are, are acting in a lot of ways based on the same instincts. But when the gazelle is finally trapped, it, it's likely to fight. Actually, even against innumerable odds, it's likely to fight. But something happens at the moment where the cheetahs actually gain control of the gazelle, right? At the moment of physical contact being initiated in the gazelle, no longer being in a viable fighting situation, uh, before any injury occurs, the gazelle will often ha has this automated physiological response, and it drops it into an almost catatonic state. In other words, it's freezing up physically as a subconscious response to being caught. Right? And scientists believe that the evolutionary advantage of this concept is that a sudden end of movement in a prey actually inhibits aggression in the predator and often stops you know, the, the attack-kill response entirely. It gives the gazelle a small but, a, 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 but still a possible chance at a later escape. And I think a lot of this is going on with your prospects as well. Um, and if you think about it, it's, it's, it's not just, you know, gazelles and cheetahs. I mean, how, how often have we been told, like, if you're confronted by a bear, I've never had a chance to test this, fortunately, but if you're confronted by a bear, don't run away, right? If you're being chased by a dog, don't run away because what you're doing is you're encouraging the predator aggression response versus nullifying it, right? So if the bear doesn't see you as prey, it's not as likely to behave as a predator. And that's the exact same psychology that's at play inside your prospect's brain. So I don't consider salespeople predators. That's not what I'm saying. I also don't consider being called on by a salesperson a trauma or me being a prey in that situation. But the fact is that our animal brains still contribute to our actions more often than we think. And again, the prospects are not an exception to this. They're human as well. So a prospect that's freezing up is a sign that they feel threatened, trapped, right? Unsure, uneasy, right? Fearful in that situation. And most good buying decisions come from an environment of safety, of trust, of comfort. And you need to challenge your prospects thinking typically to complete a sale. You've got to talk to them about why the status quo no longer works and get them to accept that. Well, I mean, people who feel threatened are going to be far less likely to be comfortable with having their thinking challenged and they're probably going to be far less comfortable with admitting that their thinking is off and they need to think in a different way right so it's not paying off to behave like a predator because we turn our prospects into prey and prey is typically not going to be a good client right even if you were to sign in you're likely to run into buyer's remorse i mean I, i'm sure there are some salespeople out there who see some success with basically being a predator and intimidating their prospects into buying but how much repeat business are they getting right how much long-term clients are they winning and how much buyer's remorse are they are they facing? Um, so you know you don't want to let their animal brains take over. It's really what it comes down to. So if you still believe in the hard close, first of all, I'm sorry. Like wake up already, and it doesn't it doesn't work in the long term. Uh, but they th those people lose more more prospects than they gain clients. And in almost every case study that I've ever seen on the subject shows that you know scientifically data driven, right? So pushing them harder, calling them more 
it feels to them like they're being preyed on and then that animal instinct kicks in and they turn into prey and they freeze right so the answer is to do the opposite obviously the answer is to ease up on a frozen prospect go back to discovery mode invert the paradigm by even suggesting a no and what i mean by that is you can minimize a predator threat by actually moving the sale completely off the table completely right so when you take that off the table it allows a prospect to be able to re-engage now not all of them will obviously but the ones that do may re-engage and actually buy or they may re-engage and actually tell you why they weren't buying, which is also useful information to have because if that's why they weren't buying, chances are that's also why some of your other clients or your other prospects are not buying. So it allows you to kind of get a peek, and that information is certainly useful, right? The safer your prospect feels, the more likely they're going to re-engage in that scenario. So the more likely they're going to be willing to have the conversation, and the easiest way to do that is to take the kill, quote-unquote, right, the sale off the table, Right. And so the question you're probably asking there is, OK, well, what does that sound like? So an example might be right in an email format. Hey, you know, Mr. Smith, I know you and I were talking. I sent out the proposal. I haven't heard back from you. I've tried to reach you a couple times since then. My mistake. I misunderstood and thought that you were ready to purchase. Clearly, you're not. At this point, I'm going to assume that you no longer want to purchase. Let me know what it is that you need from me in order to you know button this up and appreciate your time right so that's 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 called a a, a bit of a reverse or or takeaway right uh, of the sale it can be highly effective right some people call that the breakup email the key is you don't ask for business at the end of that email you take the sale off the table and if you can do it in a live conversation even better if you can't because you can't get them on the phone which is very often how prospects freeze up right they go into the witness protection program make themselves impossible to reach but to the extent that you can reach out to them in one format or another and be able to take the sale off the thing and say by the way if there's anything we need to know if we need to push this back on timing right give them that safety feeling of feeling like they've got a chance at escape and a lot of information typically comes out of that allows us to move the ball and re-engage prospects and again not all re-engage prospects will turn into a customer and not all prospects will re-engage with this methodology but if you push harder i guarantee you less of them are going to right because again you're kicking a scientifically speaking you're kicking off this tonic immobility concept where they feel so threatened that they're not making any move uh, another example i heard on this same study where they were talking about it right and and is uh and i've actually experienced this i was on a rafting trip once and it was in washington state in eastern washington state in the middle of the summer now in eastern washington in the middle of the summer it's in the 90s or 100s but a lot of the rivers that you're rafting on are in very, very cold water. It's water that's basically melted glaciers or melted, you know, snow caps. So it's like really cold water. Like I'm talking like that water is 40 or 45 degrees or something like that. It's it's really not not comfortable. And I fell in once, right? Kind of knocked out of the boat by a big wave uh, going down some rapids and I fell in. And I experienced in that moment tonic immobility. I just didn't want to move. I was like, you know, and the guys in the boat are like, reach up, reach up. And literally my brain froze in the sense of like, wow, this is really cold. Just don't move and it won't be so bad, right? And I felt like my brain was actually shutting down my physical ability to move. And then obviously once I became conscious of it in a couple of seconds, being a proactive and self-aware human that I am, I was able to make a different decision, throw my arms up, start to try to pull myself onto the boat and allow my, my crewmates, my boatmates to pull me back up onto the boat. But that's another example of tonic immobility that they mentioned in that study. And again, I can't stress this enough. You know, yes, I know human beings are civilized because we eat with cutlery and we wear clothing and, and all this other stuff, but we are not that far removed from the animal kingdom in terms of a lot of our basic 
you know, behaviors. And, and certainly psychologists and psychiatrists will tell you the inner portion of the brain, the limbic brain, is st- it's, it's, it's called the lizard brain for a reason. So that's the thought on, uh, that's, the, uh, that's the tip today, the quick fix sales tip. Um, be aware of that and don't overpressure your clients because if you do, you're probably causing some of that tonic immobility and they're freezing up even more. So keep that in mind and we'll see you on the next one. Okay, I know I said goodbye, but one last thing. If you're in sales right now, there's a 65% chance that your company is not providing you any sales training. They're providing you training around your product or your service, right, around the actual sellable item or service that you're selling, but they're not teaching you some basic psychology and some basic things that are going to tactically and strategically help you close more sales, have less proposals go into the neander, never to be heard from again, face less pressure on price from your clients because you're not constantly negotiating from a position of leverage, if of non-leverage, excuse me. If that's something that's interesting to you, go ahead and email us or contact us through LinkedIn or Facebook and uh, let us know. And we have a program, basically the equivalent of a couple of nice dinners out a month. You can get a sales gym membership or a membership, a gym membership for your sales brain, so to speak, help you kind of navigate around some of those things around science, psychology, and create some more sales. The program is called the Sales Fix Guild. And if you want to reach out and get some more information about it, reach out to us at info at salesfix.com. That's info at salesfix.com with two X's. You've been listening to the Sales Fix Podcast. For more sales tactics and tips, visit the blog section at salesfix.com. That's salesfix with two X's. We're on Twitter at salesfix, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you'd like help training your sales team, email us at info at salesfix.com.